the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses, or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed, it is. Good morning. Seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway on this Tuesday. It's the 22nd morning of the sixth month in the year of our Lord 2021. Coming up on the program. Um, bad news for you today. No curse now day today. Normally at 1010 on Tuesdays, it's curse now day. Pete's got work obligations. He will be with us tomorrow, though, so we'll give you a little bonus curse now uh, on tomorrow's uh, program. So Wednesday version of curse now. Today, however, I have a treat for you at 935 in about a half an hour, and I'm very much looking forward to this. We're going to get an opportunity to talk with a man who could be the next mayor of the city of Cleveland. Now, I'm not going to be doing all of these candidate interviews uh, between now and uh, and the time that they elect somebody to replace Frank Jackson. Epic failure that he has been in many, many ways. I know some people will argue successes, but I will look at the state of the city right now and the terms of the education, in terms of the violent crime, in terms of the uh, uh, homelessness and other issues in the streets of Cleveland. Not a fan of Frank Jackson. Have not been for years and years and years. I am a fan, however, of Landry Simmons. Landry Simmons could be the next mayor of the city of Cleveland. He checks a lot of the right boxes. And for me, one of the most important boxes he checks is law enforcement, as he is indeed a decorated law enforcement official. But Landry Simmons is going to be running as a Republican, after serving 25 years as a Cuyahoga County Deputy Sheriff, and uh, he's got a vision. He's got a vision to try to turn back the clock, if you will, and maybe try to undo some of the progressive damage done by the Cleveland City Council in its partnership with Frank Jackson for, lo, these past many, what, 16 years. So Landry Simmons could be the mayor. 
he's running. He's making a point. He's making an argument. And I'm really, really excited about what I've seen so far. I'm looking forward to talking to him voice to voice as he will join us at 935 this morning. So less than a half an hour from now, you're going to want to tune in if you're, if you're a Cleveland mayor. And, uh, and uh, learn a little bit more about Landry Simmons. Okay, before we start with our news of the day, what do you say we do what we always do? Let's stand and let's uh, say the Pledge of Allegiance. Let's recite this together. If you have a flag nearby you, please go ahead and face that. If you don't, just put your hand over your heart and join us. If you are a progressive Democrat, we expect nothing less than for you to take your proverbial knee. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation under god indivisible with liberty and justice for all now that wasn't so controversial was it it seemed like it should be a no-brainer you start you know official public events especially if you are elected officials serving and, and working on behalf of the people under the flag of the United States of America, it should kind of be common sense that you pay a uh, tribute to and pledge allegiance to that very flag. But that's not how it works with leftists. The mayor of a Colorado town suspended the recitation of the Pledge of Allegiance at a trustee meeting, saying that it's too divisive, and it's just, you know, we don't have anything to gain from it. Uh, here's a Fox report on how that went down. Silverton Mayor Shane Furman announcing the end of the pledge because of threats made both direct and indirect as well as inappropriate comments. Furman also saying he scrapped the pledge over general divisiveness. One trustee balked, calling the decision unilateral. Attendees recited the pledge anyway. Mayor Furman telling them that they were out of order. I love the fact that the other trustees basically told the little mayor, the little Napoleonic-style mayor, too bad. They stood up and recited the pledge anyway. Now, he said that there's a one-strike policy there, meaning you get one of these for free. Next time you do this, there's going to be repercussions. I don't know what's going to happen in that little town in Colorado, but I hope that there are enough people in the, in the community there supporting them, uh, these town trustees, township trustees, and uh, they will indeed continue to do this. It matters. You know, paying paying. Attention to and paying and pledging allegiance to and supporting the symbolic nation that we represent, that we make up, quite frankly. We are the nation, for crying out loud. When we say a pledge of allegiance to the United States of America and to her flag, we are saying we pledge allegiance to ourselves. You know, when compared to the rest of the world, we don't pay allegiance to Canadians. We don't pay allegiance to Brits. We don't pay allegiance to Russians or to Frenchmen or to Syrians or even Israelis. We may have a lot of allies amongst those people that I just mentioned, but we don't pay allegiance to them. Our allegiance is with us, ourselves, and our symbols matter. Which is why this story also matters. I'm just going to give these to you quickly before we get into the Voting Rights Act uh, and the vote that's coming up today. But, uh, but this is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. There is a serious decline in American pride when progressive-minded people are in office. There just is a serious decline because they take no pride in this country. That's the reality of the situation. And when you bring somebody along like Donald Trump, who for four years said, America first, and made statements like, I'm the president of Pittsburgh, not Paris, 
I don't really care too much what happens over there. Let them deal with their own issues. We are going to deal with our issues here. America comes first. Now, if after we take care of all Americans and we get our own house in order and we get our own debt under control, if we can help in other countries in other ways outside of emergency need for military rescue, you know, of course, we'll do that all the time. But outside of that, you know, we're going to wait and let you figure out your own problems. Until we get our own house in order, then we'll help help you take care of yours. That's what America first means. And it's something we should all be able to relate to. Because, again, if you're impoverished and your neighbor is impoverished, and you see that they've got very little food on their table and you've got very little food on your table, chances are good you are not going to make your children go hungry by taking the little food that you have and giving it to the guy next door so he can give it to his kids. It would be a wonderful gesture, but it would also be, you'd be abdicating your own responsibility. You would be neglecting your own children to take care of them. It's your house first. I'll help the neighbors when I can, right? Well, that's what this country is, and that's what this country does. And that's one of the things that, you know, makes us want to salute that flag. And if you wonder why I'm going why I'm droning on and on about this, there's a reason. And this was another story that I heard uh it was actually last night, but I heard it repeated again today. A U.S. Olympic athlete says that she was motivated to win a medal at this upcoming Olympics because she wanted to burn the American flag on the podium. Her name is Chelsea Wolf. She's a BMX freestyle rider. She identifies as a transgender woman. And in a March 2020 Facebook post, she says, my goal is to win the Olympics so I can burn a U.S. flag on the podium. This is what they focus on during the pandemic, hurting trans children. Now, she included a link to a story about the Trump administration's stance on trans gender girls in female sports. But in a statement to Fox News, she says she's not anti-American. She says anyone who thinks that I don't care about the United States is sorely mistaken. Yeah, our, our mistake. You know, we're sorely mistaken when you literally tweeted that you wanted to burn the United States flag on the podium if you were successful in winning in the Olympics in a competition that you don't even belong in. Because this person, this Chelsea Wolf person, is a dude, a guy. A male, a biological man, competing against biological women, females. And once again, we are faced with this, hey, you don't just have to accept me, you have to celebrate me, and you have to allow me to impose my will with my own physical attributes, which are which are fundamentally different and superior to the physical attributes of actual females, and I get to dominate them and take away their glory. And you have to celebrate me for that. And oh, by the way, even if you do, I'm burning the flag on the podium because, again, in her her words in March of 2020, so this is just over a year old, this is what they focus on during a pandemic, hurting trans children. No one is focused on hurting anybody. What we are focused on is protecting biological girls and giving them an opportunity to compete in sports, whether it be at the high school level or, level or God willing, the, the Olympic level, so that females can win gold medals and set records and earn endorsements and earn scholarships and earn money based on their victories over other females, not having those things taken away. There's no endorsements for the person who finishes second or third. 
or there are very few opportunities for endorsements for the person who finishes second or third. And it's not going to have a little asterisk that says silver medal or bronze medal, but a little asterisk there saying it was the best among biological women. The person who beat them or the people who beat them were biological males who, who were allowed to compete against girls and females because of what the U.S. Olympic or the International Olympic Committee has decided. But the bottom line here is this is a biological guy racing in the BMX freestyle races against biological girls. Enormous advantage. Yes, Chelsea Wolf will probably win a medal, maybe the gold medal. And, again, you've, you saw it, uh, wants to burn the flag. That would be something, by the way. That would be something. Making a statement all about himself rather than making a humble gesture in support of the nation that uh, he's representing by uh, uh, by wearing the red, white, and blue. Okay, I'm uh, going to get a quick time out here. I wanted to get those stories in to start, especially because they related to the pledge. We will, in on the way back, uh, come in and talk about the huge vote today. The Senate vote is going to vote uh, on whether to begin debate on the For the People Act, the Senate Voting Rights Overhaul Bill, which essentially will federalize elections, taking your rights as an Ohioan to conduct your elections, mine, our, as we see fit. Because that's the way the Founding Fathers, through the Constitution, designed it, so that each state can set its own election rules. I know those can be frustrating sometimes. But in the interest of correcting some very, very egregious wrongs that happened on November 3rd in the last presidential election, uh, it's never been more important for the states to be able to shore up their voter integrity, clean up their voter rolls, and stop and limit, if not outright, eliminate voter fraud. So we're going to talk about that coming up. Right now it's 919. This is the authority on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, it's 924 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer. Um, Yesterday, at the end of the show, I gave you an assignment. Uh, Don't take that the way it sounds. I I did used to be a teacher, so I may have a little bit of that in me. But (laughs) uh, I I, I gave you an assignment slash a request uh, to answer a question for me by way of the message line. And our uh, authority message line is open at 216-525-1806 all the time, 24-7, whether we're on the air or not. And I said, I want you, by way of this, to help me conduct my own little straw poll here. Yesterday, I talked to Jim Jordan about this, and I also um, um, brought up this straw poll from uh, the Western Conservative Conference, which was held out in Denver, in which Ron DeSantis was the winner. And he has been the winner of a few of these things in a straw poll over who Republican voters or conservative voters would like in 2024 to be their nominee. Ron DeSantis has edged President Trump again. Uh, it's close. Seventy-four percent of those in uh, of those responding had Ron DeSantis, uh, Ron DeSantis first on their list, and Donald Trump second. And seventy-one percent had Donald Trump first and Ron DeSantis second. And then you had Ted Cruz, who received forty-two uh, percent support. Mike Pompeo, who I love, with thirty-nine percent support. Senator Tim Scott, thirty-five percent support. So those are kind of the the top of the. Uh, respondents thus far. 
So anyway, I, I find that very interesting. And I will admit, I have serious, serious uh, governor envy every time I see Ron DeSantis make a move in Florida. I wish I had him for our governor here in Ohio, but we don't. We have the little mini Mike, uh, Mike DeWine, and his little tyrannical ego of his. Um, and I have said I would love to see Ron DeSantis run this country the way he's running Florida, and I meant it. And so, obviously, apparently a lot of other people do, too, if these straw polls are any indication that Republican Trump supporters who still love President Trump, and I count myself among them, would love to see perhaps President Trump behind the scenes, kingmaker, rather than throne holder. That maybe President Trump pushing the America First agenda that Ron DeSantis has adopted in full could continue to do so from a position behind the throne rather than sitting in the throne. So my question to you was, my assignment, request, homework, whatever was, give me a call and let me know what you think. Let me know who you would support right now, even though there's a lot of time between now and 2024, who you would support. Would it be Ron DeSantis or would it be Donald Trump or would it be somebody else? And I'm going to continue to play some of these throughout the program today as we come back from commercial breaks, just to give you a little sampling of what people had to say, including this one. Good morning, or good afternoon, Bob. Uh, just wanted to let you know that uh, I think DeSantis would be a better. Um, Trump can stay in, uh, like you said, in the background um, and being an advisor or whatever, but uh, I think DeSantis uh, would be a better choice. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, I'd like to see uh, Trump elected president uh, and DeSantis as vice president. And after Trump's four years, I'd like to see DeSantis run for president and Trump vice president for two terms, both. And then uh, these leftists will be out of here. They won't be able to handle it. They'll all die of a heart attack. (laughs) This is the way it should be done. Thank you. Oh, I love it. I love it. Great stuff. Let me get a couple more here before the bottom of the hour. I I don't have time to get into the Voting Act yet because I've got Landry Simmons uh, waiting on the other side of the news. So let me get just one or two more of these real quick, if I can. Hey, uh, Bob, this is Greg. Um, I think it should be DeSantis with Trump being the kingmaker in the background. Uh, I think the country has a little bit of... uh, Trump, um, uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? We're tired of him. You know, I just, oh, God, give me a break. So DeSantis, DeSantis, Trump in the background. Okay, bye. God bless. I think the word he was looking for there was Trump fatigue, and I think that can happen because obviously with President Trump doing the things he did, which were phenomenal, and drawing the uh, the anger and the vitriol that he did, uh, which was which was overwhelming. You know, it is it is there is a fatigue that sets in. You're defending his points of view. You're defending his policies. You're defending his accomplishments. You're defending his his um, uh, you know. Uh, the job that he did as overall as commander-in-chief and as president of the United States, but in doing so, then you also have to defend all the personal foibles and some of the language and some of the statements and the other things that, uh, you know, it does. And I don't mind defending those things, but you you do suffer from fatigue uh, from time to time. Yeah, DeSantis should be at the top of the ticket. Thank you. We've got to win. That was an easy one right there. Hello, Bob. Hey, this is uh, Dan from Parma, and uh, I'd like to uh, say my support for President Trump in top of ticket. And then you put the DeSantis as number two, and then four years later, we have DeSantis as president. It sounds good to me, yeah? 
All right, very good. That's uh, it's a common theme, it seems, among some people. And one more before we get to the bottom of the hour here. This is off the uh, time for Jim Jordan. And my point is, I'd rather see Ron DeSantis or somebody else up there that would do an appropriate job and see President Trump as the speaker. Think about that. God bless you and have a great day. Thank you, dear. I appreciate uh, the phone call. I appreciate all of those messages. I've got more. We'll play them throughout the day today. And if you feel like adding to that list, please tell us your thoughts. We'll try to tally these up as we go. But 216-525-1806 is the authority message line. That is just for messaging, not getting on the air live. We'll, of course, take your live phone calls as well at 216-901-0945. News now. Landry Simmons. Candidate for Mayor of Cleveland next on AM 1420 The Answer. Okay, 936 now. We continue on AM 1420 The Answer. Hope you're having a great Tuesday. So there are eight names that have been officially declared as candidates to replace Frank Jackson as Mayor of the City of Cleveland. The names include Justin Bibb, Ross DeBello, Bashir Jones, who's a Ward 7 councilman already, Kevin Kelly, who's a council president, Dennis Kucinich, who is just Dennis Kucinich. That's all you need to know. Zach Reed, I will refrain from discussing. Sandra Williams, who is a veteran legislator, the only woman in the race. And this guy. Landry Simmons, described by Cleveland Scene Magazine as, quote, 52-year-old county sheriff's deputy, West Park resident, Republican, aggressively pro-police and anti-crime. Platform includes abolishing the consent decree. The man just got my vote. Thank you, Cleveland Scene Magazine. That's all I really needed to hear. <laughs> you had me at abolish the consent decree. Let's bring Landry Simmons onto the program now. Landry Simmons, again, a 25-year sheriff's deputy veteran who is indeed dedicated and devoted to being anti-crime and protecting the residents of the city of Cleveland, as he did in Cuyahoga County for his entire career. Uh, Landry, thank you so much for the time, Deputy how are you, sir? Yeah, fine, but you still. How are you doing there, Bob? I am doing great. I, you know, I, I have followed this. I have chronicled this. I've been on the air in Cleveland since the beginning of this consent decree that was uh, negotiated uh, by the city with the Obama administration that continues in place today. And I've got to tell you, uh, the damage that it does to the community by handcuffing police officers, sheriff's deputies like yourself and others, making people afraid to do their job, it has just been devastating. Why don't we start there? Because, uh, again, that's the description they gave in Cleveland Scene, and if you are anti-consent decree, that makes me very, very happy and excited. What can you tell us? Well, number one, uh, I've been out here in this wonderful city for most of my life. Started off here as a CMHA police officer, boots on the ground for almost 30 years in law enforcement. And if anybody knows about law enforcement, is any law enforcement out here that's serving Republic and the community. And this consent decree is ridiculous. I mean, it is, it's unreal. I mean, most of these politicians that come up with these consent decrees and all these rules never been out here on the streets. They don't know how it is. 
Mm -hmm. and what people say and what law enforcement go through on a daily basis to go through this. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, one thing I can say about our department, the sheriff's department, we're not under no specific decree. We're under a whole different type of umbrella. We're under the state of Ohio. And that, that makes it a lot better than what Cleveland police officers go through. Because, I mean, a lot of my friends were from Cleveland police, and they're going through hell right now. It makes yeah. no sense. Yeah, they, they really are. I, I've talked to some of them, Landry, and uh, you're right. They are, and that's kind of what I'm talking about. And when the police go through hell, quite frankly, so does the community. When the police cannot do their jobs with confidence, they cannot do their jobs you know, with safety in mind for themselves and the community, and when they have to constantly second-guess themselves and, and comply with all of the terms of this consent decree, it makes it more dangerous for the residents. The police officers that I know aren't looking out for themselves. They're looking out for the residents. And when they cannot you know, take care of the residents uh, with, the, with the way that their job requires them to do, because it may indeed impact their own security it may impact their own safety and their own freedom quite frankly um everybody loses correct and, and like i tell people i mean okay we have a few miss uh some unfortunate situations but you don't sit there and punish the whole police department and like i tell people you just don't go down to Cleveland police headquarters knock on the door and say give me a badge and a gun i mean you go through a lengthy process a civil service process and and right now, every city in America is, is suffering through the same thing. If you look at all the cities that have consent decrees, their crime spikes almost double. Double. Because these criminals know. I mean, That's these right. criminals know what to do. And it's not the fact that somebody says, oh, well, because of this. I heard one side say, well, because of the COVID. I said, well, I'm going through the COVID. I ain't out here robbing nobody or putting nobody on the ground. I mean, come on, really? I mean, it, it's a way for these criminals to squeak through a, a system, a loophole, and do whatever they want. And the consent decree has to go. I'm not saying going out there having clean police out there going and, uh, uh, you know, shooting up the city. Everything is going to be under a whole other process. We're going to be a civil service, more of a community policing organization. But, I mean, come on. This consent decree is ridiculous. And I don't care how they slice it. And a lot of people say, oh, that's, that's not right. That's not good. Well, then that's too bad. I mean, we have to do what we got to do because the crime rate is almost double from last year. And from what I understand, there are maybe – 40 homicides up than last year. I mean, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And they know what's going on. And then now he's talking about defunding the police. Oh, come on. Give, give me a break. I mean, we're barely making it now. I mean, if anything, you need to add more money to the police budget. Well, that's exactly right. Uh, and, and let's talk a little bit more about policing now. We're talking with Landry Simmons. He is a 52-year-old, 25-year uh, deputy uh, in the uh, uh, Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Office. He has uh, announced his candidacy for mayor. You have a couple of black marks against you right out of the gate in the city of Cleveland. You are identified as a pro-police supporter, and you are identified as a Republican. Uh, it's been a very, very long time since a Republican got an opportunity to, to lead this city. Uh, I guess going back to George Voinovich, um, and again, you're pro-police, which is, you know, uh, a, a, a tough thing to be in a lot of urban centers in this country right now. So as you look at your challenge, uh, Landry Simmons, um, how are you going to overcome those two things, being pro-police and being a Republican in a very, very blue Democrat city? Well, this is what I tell people. Number one, uh, take the elephant out of the room, okay? Uh it don't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, Independent, Green Party, whatever new party they come up with. It's doing right by the city of Cleveland. It's about doing right by the community. It's about 
bringing families together. It's about keeping the community safe. That has, like I said, that has nothing to do with what party you belong to. And as far as uh, politicians go, they say, I'm telling everybody, I'm not a politician. No, no way. I'm a public servant. I served the community for 30 years, and I'm going to keep on serving. And when I get elected mayor, I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to serve this community the best possible way. I want to make sure there's jobs here. I want to make sure it's a safe community. I want to make sure we grow. These neighborhoods need to be revitalized. There's so much need to be done. And it has nothing to do with Republican, independents, or, or, or Democrat. It's about what's doing right. And we have to I... move forward. I kind of agree with you, but I kind of don't. And what I mean by that is, I think you're right. It should be about what's right for the people of Cleveland. It's right for the citizens. It shouldn't be about party. But in 2021, it is. Uh, in a lot of places, you know, it's just that you see the R after the name, particularly in a place like Cleveland, it's nope. You see the D after the name, no matter who they are, what they stand for, whether they have a record of success, serving the people, or anything else like you described, it's, yep, that's my guy, because of the, the letter after the after to the name, so that's going to be a tough, um, a tough message to get out there. I think, isn't it, to say ignore the R after my name? Look at who I am and what I do. Well, you know, right now, I mean, look at it. I mean, this is the worst. I mean, I've been in Cleveland uh, most of my life since I got out of the academy. I mean, look at it's just got bad. I mean, so at a point, people just got to be like, you know what? I had enough. And I'm getting that right now. I'm going around knocking on doors, talking to people, and they're saying enough is enough. I mean, and these are Democrats, and I have a lot of Democrats that support us. I mean, enough is enough. I mean, how much can you take? And the city is going, the population is going down. It's the fastest shrinking yeah. city in America. I mean, that, that ought to prove it right there that this Democratic system is not working. Let me ask you this. Always, I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish your thought there. I apologize. No, that's what I'm just saying. This Democratic Government, government is not working. I mean, if you just look around, you can see it. People are moving out here. They're going to Texas. They're going to red states. Look at California. That's a, that was a almost blue state, and then one mistake, everybody's going to Texas. It's just thing like here in Cleveland. People are moving out. I have three friends of mine already moved to Florida. They said, I can't take it no more, Landry. This is enough. I can't do it. They're going to Florida. They're going to North Carolina. I mean, they're going they, south. A lot of them going to South Carolina. These are red states. People are getting tired. And only so much you can do. I mean, how much more of your property value you want to go down? If you own a house, I would want to make the right decision and put who's in office that can get this city turned around. And obviously, for the last 12 years, it hasn't been doing a very good job. I completely agree with that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Landry, your, your slogan, I'm looking at your website right now. It starts out, safe streets, strong economy, smart schools. That's a three-pronged approach. Uh, all three are very, very important. Let me start with the first one. I know we already talked about the consent decree, but we had last year, and I, the, the numbers escape me now, but a record number of homicides in the city of Cleveland. Uh, I tracked them and looked at some of the demographics of them, and 90-plus percent of the homicides were African-American victims, and 90-plus percent of the perpetrators were African-Americans, because a lot of these things are gang-related. A lot of these things are in the same violent urban centers. So when you start your campaign, Landry Simmons, with safe streets, what are you going to do about all of that? Well, the, Cleveland, the city of Cleveland, right? Remember back in the day, we used to have the Cleveland Police Athletic League, you know, and they sure. had kids yeah. up. They had boxing, they had the midnight basketball, they had the baseball. They had a lot of activities for the for the kids, for the young adults and young adults. And, and that disappeared all of a sudden. A lot of activities for our youth has disappeared. And, and we're going to bring them back. That's one of the main things 
we're going to do is bring back Cleveland Police Athletic League. We're going to get involved with the community. We're going to run a community policing organization. I mean, right now, the community and the police is not together as we should. But it takes time. It's like anything else. It's like meeting a new girl. You know, and you're like, well, you know, right now she's hesitant to you until you get to talk and get to know her. And it's the same as the police department. We've got to get out there, get the police out there. And it's going to take time, but it's not going to be forever. And we gradually and gradually build that relationship, open up these programs for these kids, get these kids off the streets. That's the main thing. Get them off the street and have them headed in the right direction. It can be done and it will be done. And it's been proven to be done. We just have to go out and do it. Like how big, how big of a challenge, though, if I may, how big of a challenge will that be given the declining numbers in the department? You know, tons of retirements and people leaving the force, not being replaced anywhere near with the number of, of new recruits in the academies. Uh, just by attrition, the numbers of Cleveland police are falling. So, you know, how are we going to get out there and get to know these kids, as you say, and, uh, and, and get them to trust if there's just not enough? Well, well, number one, what we're going to do, number one, is have a nationwide, well, you got to up the pay. And I already guarantee that, you know, once we win this election, I'm giving Cleveland Police a 3% raise, and I want them to be equal to Columbus Police Department. There's no way that Cleveland Police officers should be making, or any law enforcement or public safety should be making what they're making. We should be comparable to Columbus Police Department, and that's what I want, all the way across the board, mm-hmm. city workers and everything. I mean, we're the only, we're the only city that has three major league teams. We have a baseball team. We have a professional basketball team. We have a football team. We have the city of Cleveland generate a lot of money. We have the fiscal report. And there's no way you should be paying the city workers peanuts. I mean, there's no way. And you have to bring an attractive recruitment, nationwide recruitment, to get officers. And they're going to come. I mean, we're going to come. You have to restructure the whole Cleveland Police Department. That's the number one thing. Once we get our numbers up and do major hiring, we can get our officers out there and start going with our plans. And it, it will work. I mean, it's the same with the Sierra Department. We did the same thing. I mean, you have to have a lucrative contract, new policy, procedures that would get the police department on track. Right now, everything is all scattered. It's been scattered for the 12, what, 12, 16 years. Yeah. No, you're, you're exactly right. Um, you know, it's funny when you, when you bring all of that up. And you talk about wanting to pay more and, and be more attractive in terms of recruiting, you know, nationwide to get the best candidates to come here and join the academy and want to work in the city of Cleveland. I get it. Uh, but you're going to have to find that money. And that means working with the city council that's going to have to approve these budgets. You have a lot of, not a lot, but what Kevin Kelly and Zach Reed used to be a councilman and who else, uh, is on this Bashir Jones. So you've got members of council who are running against you in this, in this, uh, primary. Do you think you would, would be able to convince a Cleveland city council to go with all of this expenditure that you're talking about with respect to police? Yeah, because we had a fiscal report. I can say, well, you know, and we know where the money's going. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely not going into public safety and the city workers, you know. And we're still following the money trail. Oh, there's a lot of money there. I mean, it's a lot of money, but, you know, following the money trail, that's what's going to happen. And the first thing we're going to do is come in and bring in an audit. That's the first thing you do. You bring in an audit, and that way you got to guarantee where your numbers are at. So the numbers I have and the numbers they think and they're telling the public is two different numbers. So, we, like I said, we have a fiscal report. We know where most of the money is going. And there's money left. There's a lot of money left. So I, I don't want this government, this uh, current government now to think, that oh, we don't have, you have the money. We have the report. 
I'm I'm a little pressed for time here now, Andrew Simmons. I'm not going to be able to do all three, safe streets, strong economy, and smart schools. So I'm going to skip the economy, which maybe is a conversation we can have another time. But just briefly in the next couple of minutes here, the last that I have, tell me what your plans are for Cleveland schools. Well, number one, we need to get the school system back to the community. I don't believe in hiring a superintendent out of Boise, Idaho, and pay them $220,000 or wherever they come from, and they'll have no idea what's going on in the city of Cleveland. It's, no. Bring back the Cleveland School Board. And that's, that's my suggestion. Many people disagree with me, but I say bring back the city of Cleveland School Board and have it organized and rebrand correctly. Because paying these superintendents coming from nowhere to where they come from and paying these high frequency, look at it. Obviously, the last 12 years hasn't worked. And we're still in the same situation. So give it back. Bring back the statement city school court. I think that's a, I think that's a great starting point. Uh, and I think there's a lot of other ground to cover there, and I'm sure you do too. And, and maybe that's something we can talk about again. But this is a great introductory conversation. Like I said, as soon as I read about you and I talked to some of your colleagues, some other law enforcement officers that I know in the city of Cleveland, uh, you know, I had a great, great feeling about you in the first place. I really want to get the the people of Cleveland to know you by having you on as much as we can between now and and the time it comes time to vote. But uh, Landry Simmons for mayor of the city of Cleveland. I really appreciate you coming on and starting this conversation now, and we'd love to have you back. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been an honor for being on your show there, Bob. Well, it's a pleasure. Thank you, sir. God bless. All right, there's Landry Simmons. I like him. I liked him before I had him on. I kind of said I need to see a little bit more about him here. And that's why I wanted to have him on, but I, I kind of knew, I kind of knew what he was going to be all about. Uh, it, it, this is, it just reaffirmed that I think. Uh, thoughts? There's that. You know, we were talking about the presidential straw poll. What about the city of Cleveland? You heard the eight names: Justin Bibb, Ross DeBello, Bashir Jones, Kevin Kelly, Dennis Kucinich, Zach Reed, Sandra Williams, and now Landry Simmons. Uh, what are your thoughts? Did he? Have, does he have a chance? A police-minded conservative Republican black man for for mayor of the city of Cleveland does he have a shot I tell you what I don't know if he does or not but I'm going to do everything I can to help give him a shot because I uh, I like him and I support everything that we just heard from him okay uh, 953 quick time out right back on AM 1420 the answer Should Hugh Hewitt be our next senator? Now, Ohio is a dog pile, and they're all great people. I just had on Steve Stivers. I've had on uh, uh, the uh, uh, Josh Mandel. I've had on Jane Timken. I've had on J.D. Vance. And there are probably more. I might go back and run. What the hell? Everybody's running. Hugh Hewitt at 6, followed by Bob France at 9 on The Answer. Or on iHeart, TuneIn, and Odyssey. Hey, this is uh, Dan from Parma, and uh, I'd like to uh, say my support for President Trump in top of ticket. And then you put that DeSantis as number two, and then four years later, we have DeSantis as president. It sounds good to me, yeah? Hi, Bob. Uh, I do not think that Trump should be on the ticket in 2024. It should be uh, Ron DeSantis and 
uh, I wouldn't give the mainstream media the pleasure of uh, bad mouthing for uh, the entire uh, political uh, season. Uh, I think uh, Ron DeSantis would be the guy that uh, could uh, could win. Thank you. I'd rather see DeSantis as the next Republican presidential candidate. He has the ability to play well with other people. I'd like to see Donald Trump run for president and his vice president be DeSantis. DeSantis is still young and can continue on after this presidency. We've got a straw poll going on, and the people are responding. I like it. 216-525-1806 is the number. That's the message line. That's not to get live on the air. If you want to get live on the air, which I will do because we are guest-free in hour number two, you must call 216-901-0945. But who would you prefer to see as the Republican nominee in 2024 to try to boot Biden and Harris out? Would it be DeSantis? Would it be Trump? Would it be someone else? Take part in our straw poll. We'll continue to play your messages as we continue on AM 1400.